Hi, everybody. So, as you know, I'm Jamie Burke. Um, I'm an investor. So I've been investing in blockchain um, for the last three years. I invest with a group of other people through something called Outlier Ventures. Um, and I also run the largest network of um, professional blockchain investors. So um, when I say professional, that's quite an important thing, as you'll come to understand a little bit later, because there's lots of uh, retail investors um, uh, who are very active in the space. So um, really, when I'm talking about blockchain for me, to contextualize um, what the opportunity is, we're talking about Web 3.0. So we're literally talking about the next phase of the web. Um, and if we look at what that means in the context of all the other phases, well, obviously Silicon Valley started out um, the computing revolution, the hardware. Web 1.0 connected these computers in what Tim Berners-Lee referred to as a read-only web. Um, web 2.0. 2.0 came along, um, and really this led to what's, what I'd refer to as a mediated P2P web. So read, write, web. Um, and actually, it's interesting hearing all the other talks previously uh, about what's happening in China. Um, I wouldn't even call them emerging markets now, um, based on that last presentation anyway. Um, and actually, the, the trend's still the same. If you think about what web 2.0 means, well, web 2.0... Web 2.0 has really um, been about a centralization of platforms. And we've had to use these uh, platforms to mediate peer-to-peer um, -peer exchanges. So whilst we think of a lot of these platforms as peer-to-peer, -peer, actually we're reliant upon this mediator, this platform in the middle, to help us transact, to help us share information and data. Um, and of course, that comes with a, a trade-off. And effectively, these guys are, are trust brokers for us to share our content and our things. Um, and whilst uh, that's true in the West, I also think it's probably true in some of the markets that we've just discussed. So the consequence to that is um, that centralization has an inherent weakness in terms of security, privacy, and censorship. And censorship, obviously, very relevant to some of the conversations previously. Um, so Web 3.0 for me is an upgrade on that. Blockchain, which is a catch-all term I'm going to break down a little bit later, really rep replaces these trust brokers. The, the protocol, the infrastructure itself, um, replaces um, these brokers. Um, some people refer to it as trustless, um, because you don't necessarily need to trust any party. You just trust the platform itself, the, the technology itself. Um, I prefer to call it trustful. Um, and actually, if you speak to people like Tim Berners-Lee, which I haven't had the privilege to do, by the way, um, really Web 3.0 is, is what the web was supposed to be. And there's a company called Ethereum, and their tagline is very specifically that. You know, it's, it's making the web what it was supposed to be. Um, so I kind of refer to it as the read, write, own web, because not only can you participate like Web 2.0, but you can actually own um, the protocol, you can participate in owning the protocol through, through tokens, um, and you have greater control of your, your content uh, or your assets that you're kind of moving around. Um, and not only does it enable P2P, so peer-to-peer, -peer, um, it also enables machine-to-machine. -machine. Um, and peer-to-peer -peer can also be business-to-business, -business, by the way. It's not just you know, consumers. Um, and more interestingly, as we'll discuss a little bit later, it enables um, 
autonomous entity to autonomous entity. So obviously, before I'm going to go into the, the big opportunity, um, I'm going to have to explain to you what blockchain is, which, to be honest with you, is never easy. Um, I have to make the assumption that the large majority of people in the audience don't necessarily have a, a technical understanding. So sorry if he just did this, but could everyone raise their hands if they feel they've got a pretty good understanding of what blockchains are about? Yeah, so kind of what I thought. Um, to be honest with you, there's only a level that you need to understand. So there's things that underpin blockchains, such as cryptography. I'm not going to explain that. Um, what I'm going to try and do is, is to break uh, a Guinness world record. Now, I'm saying it's an official attempt. It's probably not. I think I need somebody from Guinness Book of Records here. Um, but if you're going to time me, I'm going to try and explain it in one minute. And then that gives me 15 more minutes to do the rest of the talk. So starting about now. So effectively, a blockchain is what we call a distributed ledger. So like any other ledger, what that means is it, it historically records identity and assets. And that leads to be able to track ownership. What's distributed about it is everybody has a copy of this ledger. So no one central party owns that ledger. No, no one party controls that ledger. Um, what we can transact on this ledger are unique tokens. These are basically long numbers. No two people, no two parties can own the same token. So all of a sudden, it instills provenance in that system. Those transactions that happen amongst us are processed by a distributed network of miners. And they're anonymized. They, can't, they don't know whose transactions they're processing. It's pseudo-anonymous. And when those transactions happen on the ledger, they're immutable. They can't be changed. They can't be altered, although some organizations are trying to, to change that. Um, and they're encrypted. Now, on top of that, you can build smart contracts. These are small computer programs that effectively allow you to mimic a process. And that process could be an escrow. It could be many sequences of processes in a supply chain. Um, those miners secure that network through a consensus mechanism. As long as 51% of that network agree to that way of consensus, the network's secured. So that's it. How did I do? Did I do it? OK, so you're all witnesses to that. Who here understood what the hell I just said? Ah. OK. We won't tell them about that. Well, hopefully, it unravels as I start to kind of give you some use cases. So actually, when we're talking about blockchain, we're talking about a multi-chain universe. As much as many people would like to tell you it's just about the Bitcoin blockchain, the reality is there are innumerable. And the reason why is because actually it's open source code. It's largely open source code. So basically, that means people can take it and bastardize it and do whatever the hell they want. And as long as they can get enough people to agree with what they're doing, they've got their own blockchain. Now, broadly, we're talking, what we're seeing is a divergence between blockchains of uh, unpermissioned and permissioned, uh, otherwise known as private or public. And actually, here's a sequence of events. I'm not going to go through them all. But actually, it all started, of course, with the Bitcoin blockchain. The technology that underpins that has been in development for the last 30 years. So it's nothing new. Um, but Satoshi brought about Bitcoin blockchain. And it was the first usable instance of a blockchain specifically for digital currency. So it's very narrow and limited in, in its application. Um, but then there were further innovations that came about that started to say, well, actually, rather than just moving around a Bitcoin, what if this token could be associated to other assets? They could be 3D designs, CAD files. Um, they could be um, packets of information. 
Um, they could be real-world physical assets. Often these are called colored coins. Um, and then increasingly, things like Ethereum came about, which is an alternative to the Bitcoin blockchain, but specifically focused on the application layer. So it's a, a protocol that enables you to build applications on top of the blockchain, on a, a blockchain, um, to do various things. The interesting thing with the Ethereum decentralized, and you'll hear decentralized mentioned a lot in reference to blockchain, is that nobody can say, nobody has to approve that application on Ethereum. You know, there is no iTunes that says you can and you can't make this. You can make it. And interestingly, you don't need a bank account to do it either. So you don't need to connect it to a credit card or a bank account. So if you think about the implications to that in terms of development in genuine emerging markets where they might be unbanked, in theory, they could create a business with no bank account and without anybody else's approval. So this is truly a democratization of, of the web and actually what it was supposed to be. Um, these applications um, can become increasingly autonomous. So there's something called a DAO, which basically means that this application can live entirely on its own. It has no bank account. It is not a limited company, but it acts like a company. And there's been one very famous instance of it, which I definitely don't have time to go into, um, which was the largest crowd sale ever, the largest crowdfunding campaign ever. Hundreds of millions crashed and burned. Um, many reasons why, and actually not the fault of, of the concept of a DAO, just pure execution. Um, if we look at permissions, um, which everyone in the unpermissioned world, which is slightly libertarian, hate to admit it's happening, permission world is the private blockchain, or private blockchains. And basically, large companies have gone, well, that's interesting, but we don't like this kind of public unpermissioned stuff, and understandably. So large banks have gone, well, we could really use this technology for lots of different things. We want to get rid of intermediaries too. Um, but actually, we want, we want permissions on who can and can't use it. An unpermissioned blockchain, basically, anybody can buy a token. Anyone, in theory, can process a transaction. Anybody can create an app. In a permissioned world, that's not possible. Only certain people are allowed to do certain things. And there are innumerable variations of that building out um, including the latest edition, um, which some people would say is not edition at all, Accenture's editable blockchain. So if you remember what I said earlier, the whole point of a blockchain and its ledger is it's immutable. You can't go back and change it. Well, Accenture have gone, we've spoken to a few bankers, there's something called the fat finger syndrome, an extra zero on the end of that trade, they want to quickly change that shit. So um, they want a ledger where they can go back and edit it. And of course, Accenture really just making a power grab because at the end of the day, in an unpermissioned blockchain, there is no intermediary. In a permissioned one, and especially an editable one, all of a sudden Accenture can go, well, yeah, you need us to be able to be the regulated party that can make that change. So what value can they bring? Um, well, here's a few. Um, and hopefully they're starting to kind of make a little bit more sense now. So we'll start with the P2P exchange. So effectively, blockchains at the heart are marketplaces. Um, and it's interesting, uh, in the previous chat, when it's about we need to create different kinds of platforms, actually what's different about blockchain, and I propose a major disruptor to that whole platform model, it's not about platforms, it's about protocols. Peer-to-peer, um, -peer, true peer-to-peer -peer exchange. So you can imagine an Uber without Uber. Drivers own that platform, they own their own resources, there's an app that lets them transact and they can set their own rules. Um, Airbnb. You know, so these sharing economies that aren't really sharing economies, we rely upon the central, central platform, all of a sudden can be decentralized and can be true P2P. 
Um, that's also applicable to machine to machine. So as I said earlier, you can imagine an environment, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, um, where drones are connecting to drones. But actually, if you look at the private world, um, there's private blockchains. The thing that large companies are most interested in is task automation. Really boring, but a major efficiency gain. If you can have this ledger and these contracts that basically perform back, back office functions, um, you can fire a load of people. And banks are quite keen on that. Um, also, the reason why regulators, particularly the FCA in the UK, are so keen on adopting blockchain and businesses and banks adopting blockchain is auditability. Because it's on a ledger, and as long as it's immutable, it's auditable, which basically means you don't have to worry about what Tesco's doing with their annual reporting if it's on a ledger. So for me, to distill that down, if we're looking at public and private, they're slightly different. The, the kind of motives and ambitions are slightly different. Public is about commons-based, peer-owned networks. So secure, private, censorship-proof, and self-financing. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit later. Um, in a permission world, it's about more efficient private markets that are fraud-proof, auditable, automated, and liquid. The more you remove people from processes, the quicker they become. And that's especially true on cross-border trading, including banking and these kind of things. Actually, what we're talking about is reconfiguring and updating, um, fixing those 2.0 legacy systems. So the first industry to self-finance, the amazing thing about the blockchain space and these kind of open um, ledgers that I, I talked about earlier, these kind of public ledgers, are they could, they've self-financed themselves. So most open source initiatives have relied upon donations, which is very slow, cumbersome. Um, the whole model um, with something like Bitcoin blockchain is um, when you are creating a new ledger, you can issue tokens in advance, and people can buy those tokens. And if they believe in the value of that network, those tokens are going to go up. So the people that were very early buying Bitcoin when nobody knew what the hell they were talking about, same with Ether and Ethereum, made a lot of money. And the interesting thing with that is that then financed them to build other businesses, to build the application layer. Um, so effectively, it's crowdfunding. People have been able to print their own money. And of course, that's had some disastrous situations, um, as you'd expect. Um, but also, it's empowered a whole industry to self-finance itself. Now, there has been over a billion, I think 1.1 billion, that's gone into blockchains um, from um, the VC world and Silicon Valley, and an increasing amount from the corporate world but on the whole, open, permissionless blockchains do not need VC money at a protocol layer. They can self-finance entirely. Um, now, that creates a really interesting network effect, because if I'm a developer um, and I buy tokens for this new platform that's going to enable me to, to, to do something, um, I'm going to have an incentive to build on that platform, because it's going to increase the value of my tokens. So, Actually, perversely, it will lead to a re-centralization of, of these platforms we're going to be dismantling in Web 2.0. The only difference is that the wealth will be better distributed. So where are we in the cycle? Um, well, you know, I don't know if you've seen these charts before, and I don't have much time left. But in theory, it depends on your geography of where you are. But if we talk specifically about the West, um, we're kind of Gartner's hype cycle in the UK, we're past peak. There's been a few big things where there's been major overreach. And people have realized the promise of Web 3.0 is not quite there yet. Some people have just dismissed it out of hand as a consequence. But most people that understand technology cycles see that it's just part of the cycle that everyone goes through. We are going to go through the trough of disillusionment very soon. 
Um, so what kind of use cases are happening? So I mentioned blockchain angels earlier. So we've got a database of 1,100 blockchain startups, the largest in the world. You can access it for free, segmented by geography and sector. Um, and the use cases are broader and broader by the day. Even a year ago, infrastructure would have been a huge chunk of that. And increasingly now, we're seeing everything from providence and notary, gambling, betting, social media. People are trying to create a decentralized Uber, a decentralized Facebook. Um, now, of course, there's many reasons why those won't succeed, but it's going to happen at some point, especially when they have the ability to self-finance. So the, the, the point earlier, you need lots of VC money to scale these things, isn't necessarily true. They can self-finance themselves. What's really interesting is it's not just these crazy libertarian startup kids that are doing this. Enterprise have cottoned on really quickly. Um, a huge amount of them are doing enterprise-led venturing in the space. Um, no surprise, a lot of the IT vendors are there, specifically kind of focusing on the private blockchains rather than the open and permissioned ones. Um, but they're doing big deals, and there's probably going to be some really large acquisitions um, in the next three years or so. Private blockchains are um, all the rage with IBM, Accenture. They've created something called blockchain as a service. Um, and um, you know, they're kind of creating all kinds of configurations, targeting things like insurance and banking, where there's lots of paperwork. If you've ever worked in any of those industries, you would not believe how analog they are. Not even not digital, just analog. So this is truly revolutionary. It's going to add major, um, major benefit to bottom line for a lot of these organizations. Um, and in a low-to-no-growth low economy, um, global economy, um, that's going to be really attractive. Um, so capital markets, I'm not going to go through that too much because I'm sure nobody here gives a shit. But things like clearing and settlement, KYC, payments and remittance, all these things are going to be automated away by smart contracts on permission ledgers. And it's going to lead to a cull in back office jobs, um, but it's also going to lead to massive improvement on banks' bottom line, but you know, who cares about that? What I'm really excited about is convergence. So, um, as I've already mentioned, one thing that's going to happen is this deconstruction of Web 2.0, which is going to be great, but it's going to be slow. Um, the powerful thing about blockchain is the next web infrastructure is it provides an architecture for all the other really exciting macro tech trends to scale and to scale securely. Um, not only that, once they start to scale, it allows them to combine because effectively it becomes a common shared operating system. You know, at the moment, uh, and I'm going to go through an example, so I won't spoil it, actually. But things like 3D printing have no infrastructure. People will not put their CAD file online unless it's for an EWOC, because um, they're scared somebody can just copy it and print it innumerable times. Blockchain solve that, because remember, you can have unique assets that are secured by math and cryptography. And then it allows them to combine. So if anything's going to lead to this exponential um, growth and convergence of technologies, and possibly as all being robots, um, it's going to be blockchain, which I'm quite excited about, by the way. Um, so I want to try and bring it together in one example. And you're going to have to use a degree of creativity here, right? Because we are talking about some technologies that haven't quite had their day yet. But this is kind of where we're potentially heading. So obviously, it's a Tesla. Um, so this car, um, I'm going to read this bit, actually, because it's quite detailed. So a car's I IoT sensor picks up a non-critical part needs replacing. The car has an identity on a ledger, so it's also a thing on a ledger. Um, and associated to it, it has a smart contract um, with a third-party warranty company, um, which means that this part 
um, the warranty company will automatically pay for. So again, no people involved in this process at the moment. The car is also a wallet, so it has its own money in it, deposited by the owner. Um, and it allows it to order the new part from the ledger, directly from the parts manufacturer, for say £1,000, $1,000. The car's warranty smart contract pays $500 towards it automatically. All the money is held in a smart contract escrow that nobody can get into, it's incorruptible, on the ledger. And until the part has been delivered to the garage to be fitted, it won't be released. The parts manufacturer 3D printer uh, receives the order for $1,000. This is assuming we can do carbon printing or whatever it's going to be, right? It pays $500 to the manufacturer to print the associated 3D CAD design, knowing with surety that the, customer, that the customer's money is held in a smart contract escrow. Once printed, an instruction is sent to the supply chain ledger where a drone is ordered from an autonomous fleet for $100. By the way, they're already rolling out autonomous fleets of, well, not autonomous fleets, but fleets of drones in the UK this year. So making those autonomous and intelligent is the natural next step. Think Uber, but for drones, right? Um, once printed, instruction is sent to the supply chain ledger where the drone is ordered to pick it up, $100. The drone collects the package, credits $100, pays $5 to its insurer, and $95 goes to the, the, the owner of the, the drone fleet network. By the way, the owner of that fleet network for the drones might not be a company. It might be a decentralized autonomous organization. So a company made entirely of code. The car is instructed to drive itself to the garage. Well, Tesla's can already do that, apparently. Kill a few people on the way, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and all this is done without any meat. No meat, none of us. No accountants, no guys in suits. And an AI audits the ledger to check for anomalies, kind of within the system, at the end of the month, to do an automatic, automatic reconciliation to any parties. So why would all this happen on a blockchain and not be able to happen any other way? Because all these various parties need to trust one another. And largely, these parties are machines, they're contracts, they're bits of code. There are no people in there. So there is no other system that will allow that to happen. And as far-fetched as all of that seems, blockchain makes 3D printing possible. It makes autonomous drone networks possible. It makes smart contract warranties possible. Um, so this is the future that we're looking at. Terrifying, kind of exciting. Um, and I do a number of events, um, meetups. There's going to be one in Berlin soon, one in London, specifically on the subjects of convergence. Because for me, that's the most exciting horizon that we're kind of looking at. So, in summary, we're moving from centralized, human-mediated systems to trustless, decentralized, autonomous networks. That's it.